Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. There was a Jose Cuervo advertising campaign that ran just a few years ago. It, it just stopped running not, not too long ago. It featured Kiefer Sutherland. And the tagline at the end was, just don't have any regrets. So it would be like, have a Cuervo, have a fun time, have a party with your friends, just don't have any regrets. (laughs) Do you remember that advertising campaign? I do not. I do not. It probably ran during sports, which you don't spend a lot of time watching. Yeah. Well, you know, as ridiculous as I think a lot of big beverage advertising campaigns are, for me, that one takes the cake. It is by far the stupidest thing I've ever heard anyone say. Let's break that down for a second. Don't have any regrets. First of all, I don't think there's anything wrong with having regrets. I have a boatload of regrets. Sure, many of them are tied to my alcohol consumption, but I have regrets every day. I make decisions every day that I'm like, oh, wish I hadn't said that, or that sure was stupid. So I I don't see regrets as the dirty word that some people do. But when I think about alcohol and regrets, when I think of the liquid that's most closely assigned to regrets, yeah. it would be tequila, wouldn't it? That yeah. I or any alcohol a lot of the times, but Yeah. Yeah, usually there's tequila shots and what are they called? Snake bite. Yeah, I, I know there's like high... there is like, you know, that's just when it's gone too far for your drinking evening when like tequila shots come out or yeah, especially margaritas are flowing like Cuervo Gold. Like I know there are high end tequilas. In fact, I'm pretty sure my cousin used to own a tequila bar that like featured high end tequilas. So I know there's fancy expensive tequila that you keep in the freezer and you sip on like you would a, a, yeah. a, a vodka or a bourbon or whatever. But for most of us, I want to say for most of us. When we think of tequila, we're thinking of Cuervo Gold or some generic equivalent that you're doing shots and you're muscling them down and it's warm and, you know, lick it, slam it, suck it, right? So the salt and the shot and then the lime. lime. So when you're doing Cuervo shots, you're saying we're throwing (laughs) caution to the wind this evening, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing but regrets (laughs) the next day. I hope I have underwear on by the end of the night. (laughs) I don't even care if it's mine. Like, it's going to be ugly. So that's, I just think that's hilarious that just ha- don't have any regrets when tequila is the international sign for regrets. So that's what we want to talk about today. Regret. Regret is where the shame lives. Shame is hard and debilitating. For alcoholics, for, for the people on my side of the fence, Sherry, the... The shame is tied directly to a tangible liquid that lives in a bottle. And this is something that, that just recently occurred to me, but I think, it's, I think it's pretty significant and important. When I was in sobriety, in the first part of my sobriety, and I was learning to get healthier, and I was trying to change my ways and, and leave the shame and the regret behind, it made it you know kind of... Not easy. Easy is definitely the wrong word. But there was a... Doable? Yeah, doable or... or I think tangible is the right word. You know, the enemy, I could see it. It it lived in a bottle. It's easy to villainize. You know, eventually, when you get far enough into your recovery work and sobriety, you can see no upside. I mean, one of the things that we do in our Shout Sobriety group... We encourage people to make a simple pros and cons list, the pros of drinking and the cons of drinking. And what typically happens and certainly what happened with me is the, the things on the pros side start to fade over time and you just keep adding to the cons list. You keep discovering new reasons why alcohol wasn't a good fit or isn't a good fit in your life. And so the argument against alcohol keeps growing. And so it's almost like a math equation. I mean, you can add up the pros and cons. So leaving the the shame is tied to this liquid. The shame is tied to alcohol. And leaving the actual 
physical thing, this alcohol behind, makes the work of, of putting the shame behind doable as well. Does that all make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Easy isn't easy isn't the right word. Correct. Tangible even seems like you could see it happening, but to do it is sometimes challenging. Yeah. Yeah. But we've we've got and I, I don't wanna get into the blame thing. You and I have for a long time said we've gotta blame the alcohol, don't blame the humans. Well, yeah, I do want to get into that, I guess. So blaming the alcohol is a great way to, I mean, that was so key and fundamental in my getting healthy was to be able to say the the behaviors that I exhibited back when I drank heavily or drank at all are not behaviors that I exhibit in sobriety. So it's really easy, again, like a math equation or a logic equation, it's very easy for me to say if I behaved poorly when I drank, and I don't behave poorly in sobriety, then as long as the alcohol is gone, the better behavior will continue. And it's really easy to, to assess the blame, to put the blame on the alcohol. Which is really important and really not something that the loved ones, the spouses, get to do when it comes to their regret. And that's what we want to talk about today. The shame for the loved ones... That, that lives in the regret. And it's so, so, so not cut and dry. It's not as simple for you, Sherry, as a spouse. When you think over your, your history and your history with me specifically and the decisions that you made and the regrets that you might have, it's not as simple as, oh, well, uh, there, there's this tangible thing, this liquid that I can blame. And now that the liquid's gone, you know, everything's cured. All my shame is gone. It, it it doesn't work that way. You know, for one, the, the gray area decision, like I said, not black or white, the gray area decision of should I stay or should I go, that's one that you and I, with the folks that we work with in our Echoes of Recovery group, we, we spend a lot of time, you know, helping or listening or just just being there for people that are trying to make that decision. Should I stay or should I go? And that is just dripping with the potential for shame and regret. Wouldn't you say? Yes. What was that what was that like for you when I was still drinking and you know the the calendar just keeps flipping the months and the months keep adding up to years and time is going by and I'm not getting better and I'm trying to put rules around my drinking and trying to control it. But, you know, I'm clearly, it's just, just not getting better. The more I try to control it, the more it controls me, more or less. I, did, did you start, you know, or not start, I know you had regret, but what was the regret like, you know, that you made this decision to marry me, and then as the time rolls on, you're every day making the decision to stay with me. What did that feel like for you? Um, well, it's kind of hard to really describe and summarize because some days it would be really good and then I would think, wow, okay, you know, maybe it's not so bad. So there were those feelings. Um, leaving would be really difficult financially and with the four kids and the emotional situation. I also started to like blame myself and tell myself, well, maybe he's right. Maybe I'm part of the problem for his drinking or I know we've discussed on podcasts how, like, when we first met, I saw all of these things, you know, like, um, and potential in you, and then I was feeling let down. So I would say to myself, well, this is your punishment for kind of winning over someone and making them love you um, to have a life with. And so maybe it's my own punishment. So there was a lot of feelings involved there. And it's... And, I mean, we were really far away from family all of our time. So just upping and leaving, <laughs> I can't even imagine that, you know. Because where would I go? I mean, we yeah. live in an expensive town. And so it was very complex. Well, and I think 
I think that's exactly the point of what we're talking about on this episode that it's it's not as cut and dry as again you're you're correct the word easy is misplaced here but here if i don't drink this liquid i get healthier and the shame and regret goes away it hasn't for the loved one it has nothing to do with that it's right. all these complex emotions and decisions that's why sometimes i feel like i get mad at you i'm like oh well honestly i know that this is going to sound really stupid i'm going to just preface by saying that i would sometimes get really mad thinking oh well you have it easy. You just have to stop drinking. You have to just do X, Y, and Z. I know it's hard, but you have one thing that you can point to that has generated the problems. Now you have to uncover why you drank in the first place. You know, so I was kind of always like upset and mad. Like, and then we would look at my laundry list of stuff when we started um, realizing there was my recovery that was needed. And I remember having that discussion. I was like, oh, well, you just had one thing. You know, I know there were underlying issues, but yeah, to me it looked like one thing. Yeah. And I looked like, I felt like I had all these twisted emotions. and. So know. that's really interesting. So I, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean this as an insult to humanity, but humans are naturally born... Um, more concerned with themselves than with others, self-centered. And again, not meant in an insulting way. I think that that's part of the defense mechanism and the way that we stay alive is, you know, we do spend a lot of time thinking about mistakes we've made or decisions we've got coming. And even as loving parents who obviously have the best interest of our kids in mind and, and spend a, a lot of time in that area too trying to make sure that our kids are safe and healthy but we still spend a lot of time in a self-centered mode thinking about our own issues and problems basically mm -hmm. so it's it's really easy really common pretty much a universalism that as an alcoholic when we're trying to get sober we just can't be bothered with the problems and the processes that our our people around us have to work through we have this huge monster to battle and get through to get through the cravings and get into longer-term sobriety and get, up, get over the hump of that first year of sobriety. And the idea that you have anything to work on at all is, is almost laughable to us. And I know that that's, knowing, you know, knowing what I know now, that's a, huge, a really, really insulting thing to say. But at the time, you're just like, you know, whatever my alcohol is causing all my problems. My alcohol is causing most of your problems too. So why don't you just sit there and be quiet while I work on the, you know, battling this monster and getting it out of the way. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and also turning to you often for support in that regard. You know, I need you, you know, love me, make me feel better. Take some of this stress off of me because I'm the one that's suffering with absolute disregard for the idea that you might be suffering as well. I think you bring up a good point is like family members and friends and, you know, acquaintances that might know that the alcoholic is in the um, recovery, discovery part of their life and trying to um, heal. You can say that. I mean, if you're not embarrassed or ashamed, but to explain that, Oh, they need time alone because they're working on their recovery. Let's not, like, you know, you did a lot of reading in the evenings during your witching hour. The kids knew what was going on. Yeah. Like, our house did not, like, we tried to leave you alone. We tried to understand. But I know just even the other day, like, I wasn't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I was just, like, preoccupied or something. It was last night at dinner and you were gone. And... Our youngest, who's 12 and in sixth grade, he said, you look like you're sad. And I was like, no, I, I think I was just thinking about something, but nothing sad. But they're really intuitive to that. So to explain, oh, dad's, you know, struggling because of he would usually drink at this time or whatever. But when you try to explain that from the loved one's, you know, perspective, when we're trying to deal and heal and go through our own recovery process, it's kind of confusing for people, too. So you don't get that. 
Yeah. I'm making this very long. I understand. No, you're, but you don't you're get right. that, like, p- viewpoint. People don't expect you to have bad days. Like, oh, well, they're in recovery. You should be doing well. They're not drinking right now. You exactly. should be doing well. So then here we are sitting here, and we're, we're still holding up the family. We're still doing all of the stuff. But then we're supposed to t- find time for our recovery, but not break and not have moments. Because we're still working on ourselves. Your recovery that's unexplainable because you don't have this tangible thing. And people don't understand the depths of how it sinks in. That's right. And this actually leads to great great transition to the the next kind of kind of point I was thinking about. So you've got these regrets, you've got this should I stay or should I go decision. You know, making the should I stay or should I go decision harder is the fact that you've already stayed for, let's say, 20 years, which is about what the case was when I got sober. So even if you're thinking, you know, it's over, it it needs to end, then you've got the shame and regret of, well, gosh, why wasn't I smart enough to make this decision 15 years ago? Why, you know, why have I lasted 20 years? This makes me feel stupid and and silly or, you know, whatever word you want to use, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I I have forgotten way, way, way more um, than I remember about my college years, but I was a business major. And one of the things that sticks in my head is they say you can never make decisions based on spent costs. So the time or the money that you've already put into something should have nothing to do with the decision about moving forward. But that's so much easier said than done, right? Well, you've invested 20 years dealing with the alcohol, and then you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Right. But you're, like, so done, and you just don't feel like you can go on, even if they are sober, you know. So... there's a lot of complex there. So that is hard, and it's unexplainable. It is. To a lot of people. It is. I mean, all you can say is just too much water under the bridge. And we talk with and work with so many people that are you know, would describe themselves as stuck. They're stuck. And, you know, you want to offer support. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, follow your instincts, try to ignore your insecurities. Let's help you learn the difference between your instincts and insecurities. Do what you know to be right for yourself. And all of that's true and it's right. But until your situation is resolved... You're not going to get out of being stuck in the regret. And so what I mean there, I think it's fairly obvious, but if like in that scenario I was describing our specific scenario where we were together for 20 years and I was still trying to figure out how I could drink and moderate and control it and you're going, gosh, this has never worked. You know, we've had problems from the beginning and it's just gotten progressively worse and worse and worse. You are going to stay stuck until your situation resolves, meaning you're stuck until either I get sober and we start to work on the relationship, we find room for you to work on your own recovery, or we get divorced, which has its whole other set of messiness and difficulties. But basically the point is, until this, you know, we we encourage people, let's help you get unstuck until the situation's resolved. You can't really do the work to get unstuck. Yeah. And and these aren't easily resolvable situations. So it's tough. I, maybe I'm just stating the obvious there. But it's a good reminder. But you you know, you 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 see people that are stuck in their stuff and you want to be like, "Oh, okay. You know, let's get you doing here's three or four things you can do." You know, big in the uh self-help community would be like, "Make a gratitude journal and and, you know, try yoga or meditative breathing. And I'm not making fun of any of this. Right. I think gratitude journals and meditation, I think this is all important. I think being out in nature and exercise, this is stuff that we've dedicated podcast episodes to. It's all really important stuff. But if you're still in that active alcoholic relationship and you're still regretting the fact that you're there, you're not going to get unstuck until you resolve that situation. Yeah. When you were going through that stuff, it makes me think about how sometimes you need to shake up your routine. You might be doing something for a long time and then some, then you are at this 
stagnant point. Just like in your diet, you know, when you're trying to lose weight, you plateau. Right. Yeah. So then you have to go and find something else. So you have to change it up a little bit too, right? I mean, you have to try different things and different practices or, um, you know, making lists of things that possibly you didn't even know were keeping you stuck that are like in the subconscious or... Because I've found that that has happened with me. There are things that aren't... That I've like thought I had like worked through, but I've pushed them down instead of like actually working through them where I felt like I had resolved it and then kind of creeps up again and it's a couple of times and then I'm like, oh, okay. So I guess that I hadn't fully worked on that and I just kind of brushed it aside. Act like it was a past memory, but it was still something that creeps up. So I have to change up what I had been doing. Yeah. Or revisit it. Or maybe there are things that you had to put aside because you couldn't just deal with it at the moment. So then that's what your stuck is. You have to go back and think about what the things were. Because I think sometimes that's right. Like you just, there's a thing that you just can't deal with at that moment while you're trying to work through and, you know, work on the relationship and stick with it. And that's I know there part are of the defense mechanism too, right? I mean, putting it aside for now because it's when the house is on much. fire, you know, working on painting the garage isn't really time well spent. Yeah. Yeah. So... Just remember that there might be things in your resentments that you haven't fully resolved and you have to go back and visit those. Yeah. And in the meantime, if you've got one of these big items that is unresolved, the should I stay or should I go kind of issues, the things that we talked about, the the stuff that you can do for yourself, self-care, self-love, Focusing on your own needs and and not just spending your time trying to fix someone else, which we know is impossible. Those are coping mechanisms. There's nothing wrong with them. We're certainly not poo-pooing them. But until the situation is resolved one way or the other, those are coping mechanisms. They're not they're not ways around the regret, or they're not ways to a ultimate solution. Let's talk about the kid component. This is, again, I think definitely a universalism. But for spouses of alcoholics that have kids, the idea of regretting the relationship brings on unbearable negative emotions. You can't admit or feel regret about your relationship because that's the relationship that brought you those kids. So if you were to say, yes, I wish, you know, Matt, I wish I had never met you, then in the back of your mind, you know that that statement carries with it, but then I wouldn't have my kids. Is that a a hard thing to reconcile? I can see by your face that it is. Absolutely. I mean, four of the greatest things in my life you know, are produced by this relationship. But then there were times that I was like, you know, we should have just broken up when you went away for your job. Because I think, you know, it was toxic in a lot of ways. And that's where I feel like I do blame myself and I have those feelings of regret or this is my punishment, so I had to stay, you know. Um, And sometimes those things outweigh that we were connected and stayed together for a reason. Like, there were reasons. So, absolutely, it's hard to to say, you know, I wish that we had never met, but then four human beings wouldn't be here. Yeah. And that's really hard to say out loud, especially to someone who's an alcoholic that may not be working on themselves and... And working on the alcoholism or someone who just doesn't quite understand and far enough in the process or someone who's just quit drinking and is dry drunk because that's something that can get thrown up in your face yeah. oh, and yeah. start an argument and just you could be tore down so quickly by that statement. So you those say, were never the intentions of the statement. It right. was just excluding that one person, you know, being crass, not your sperm, just you as a human being. 
So you say, I wish I had never met you, you know, when you're angry or, and hurt, and then I throw back at you. I, I don't think I ever did this, but, but when you say it can be thrown up in your face, right? the loved one, the spouse says, you know, I wish I had never met you or I wish we hadn't stayed together. And then I say, oh, so you don't love your kids very much yeah. then. Yeah. Which is exactly the kind of thing, the kind of vile thing that I did say. I didn't say that specifically, but the kind of vile thing that an alcoholic says to just yeah. intended to to hurt you. Absolutely. And what I've what I've learned through the work that we've done and meeting all these wonderful, loving, caring spouses that we've met, uh, holy cow. If you want to hurt a woman who's married to an alcoholic, start talking about how she, you know she doesn't love her kids. If you want to hurt her, and so, I mean that's the the ultimate. So, I know that that happens a lot. I know that that's you know a, a, just a vicious form of gaslighting, and it just turns my stomach even to talk about it or to think that I ever participated in anything like that. Because, boy, those... And those are the kinds of wounds that stick around, too. Mm-hmm. If I had said something like that to you, you would never forget that. Right. Anything related to the kids hurts worse. But even if you take the kids out of the equation, you know, if you've had a decades-long relationship with somebody, and they are what we define as a high-functioning alcoholic, meaning they've held their life together and they've... You know, they're not, they don't have a bunch of DUIs and they don't get fired every 15 minutes from their jobs and financially there's some stability. So if you've held it together and spent a couple decades together, there are probably lots of good moments mm-hmm. in there as well. So this idea of saying, oh, I regret my marriage, I regret my relationship, I regret being with this person who has this alcohol use disorder would negate all the great moments too. So I think that's one another one of the reasons that this topic of regret is so difficult for the spouses. It again, it's easy for me to regret vodka. Vodka's gross and now that I've vilified it in my brain, I can say I can go on for hours talking about how bad alcohol is. But if your regret as the loved one as the spouse is tied to your relationship and the life you've built with this other person, if you try to go on for hours talking about how much you regret me, you're going to bump into some trouble because there's lots of times that we had that were really wonderful and special and meaningful and family related and and has to do with nurturing the kids. Yeah, it's those moments that link together to make those days pass when there are bad times and you just hope to get to another good time. Again, and that will sustain you for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. But that's how it's easy for the calendar to to roll on by, and it's years later, and you're still with this person. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another thing that has been pointed out to you and I recently, and I think this the person who pointed out is absolutely right. It's easy to talk about the decisions that we regret. But who's to say that the opposite of the decision we made is any better? So, again, using our specific example, if you were to say, gosh, Matt, you know what? I just regret ever meeting you. I regret ever committing any kind of time to you, let alone the rest of my life with you, because you're an alcoholic and it's been destructive and it's been awful. Well, there's no promises that had you not met me, something else unsavory wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe maybe you'd have met another alcohol. There's a bunch of us out there. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to look too hard to find another one of us. Right. Or maybe you would have found a meth head. Yeah. I had experience who... with a meth head this week. <laughs> they're a lot of fun. They, they don't, they're like the Energizer bunny. They have a lot to say. That doesn't make a lot of doesn't sense. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, there is that, you know, what's, 
you know, the other side of of the coin. Like, yeah. what, you know, it's greener. What is it, the green? The grass it's always greener, greener on the, the other, other side. side. But it doesn't always mean that way because you're right. Maybe I would have married another alcoholic and one who was not willing to get sober, who was not high-functioning, who was not putting their kids and family first and themselves first to respect themselves enough to learn and educate themselves because, unfortunately, in the work we do, we meet a lot of people who, you know, have spouses or are trying to get better, but they're not, they're just not able to kind of push through and break through and it, take this turn where you did. I mean, because, but it took you a long time. Well, that's the thing. Are they not able to push through and break through or are they not able to push through and break through yet? Yeah. I mean, it took you about 10 years from the time that you first talked about yep. really addressing your addressing your sobriety and alcoholism. And so that took quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that adds to the complexity of the should I stay or should I go issue because... I mean, you and I had two solid decades of me drinking, and I would say, I've always said, one solid decade, a solid 10-year period of when I had crossed that line into alcoholism and my drinking was compulsive and, um, you know, I was put doing all the rules and trying to figure out a way to control it. So we have all this downward spiral time, but now I'm sober, and you and I continue to do the work. Let's not, you know, make any false claims that we're across some kind of finish line because we are not. And I actually love that. I love that, you know, I keep learning more and more. <laughs> I just want to be done. I'm not a runner. You want the I'm not line. a runner. So I just want to be at the finish line. Yeah. But that is that is the epitome of our relationship right there. You're like, ooh, learn this, read this, I heard this. And I'm like, can I just be done? Yeah. I just want to, like, settle in. Yeah. So we know who's still kind of stuck in her in her recovery but with those attitudes. Yeah. You're doing great. You, whether you <laughs> like it or not, you're making progress, even if you don't want to be. But the, the point is, um, you know, you so you've got this time invested. And again, you shouldn't make decisions based on the time you got invested. You should make decisions based on the outlook for the future. But sometimes that decision is, I need to stick this out because I have a strong feeling that my person's going to turn the corner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we said, grass is always greener. Had you decided at year 18 or something that that's it, I can't do this anymore, and you and I... We're divorced now and we were living states apart and dealing with co-parenting in that very difficult situation. Comparing that to what we have now, now that we are making it over the hump and continuing to move forward, gosh, that would be that'd be tragic, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. And that certainly wouldn't be greener grass. No. No, so, that would be you know, there's there's messy on both sides. Absolutely. Choose your heart, as they say, right? Yeah. Everything's, either way is going to be hard. Choose your heart. But so I just, I just can't emphasize enough how important it is to consider the fact that there's nothing saying that if the, you had gone differently, gone a different direction with the decision that you currently regret, it's not to say that things would have necessarily been better. I want to talk about the word regret for a second. In recent conversations, I've realized that that is a very toxic and stigmatized word just in and of itself, kind of like alcoholic and alcoholism are stigmatized words. I've never been, I've never shied away from those words. Those, <clears throat> pardon me, they don't necessarily bother me. I feel like the way to destigmatize a stigmatized word is to own it. So by calling myself an alcoholic, a recovered alcoholic, then what are you gonna? How are you gonna make fun of me? How are you gonna hurt me? How are you gonna throw stones at me by calling me an alcoholic? I already called myself that. So, you know, that's kind of been my approach. But I, I, that's far from a universal approach. I'd say the majority of people would prefer to stay away from stigmatized <laughs> words 
and you know kind of leave them in the ash heap of the historical dictionaries of the past and regret is one of them we again we found that it's very toxic and and a lot of people you know if you start saying i, I mean i think a lot of people listen to Kiefer sutherland just don't have any regrets if you start talking about the regrets they kind of clamp down and do not want to go there and it, i i just think i don't know our society our culture has made it a, a nasty thing to have regrets and i don't understand that honestly do you no i feel like if you like in that scenario of don't have any regrets about a night of over drinking and your behavior and your actions then you're just gonna laugh it off and blame the alcohol but then you're taking no ownership so having regrets means that you have a subconscious or a conscious level of concern of how your actions or decisions, I feel like, are going to impact others um, or even yourself. So then you have enough respect for yourself to feel bad about things that have happened. Um, so I feel like having some regrets and not carrying them and having them be burdensome and troublesome where you can't go over them but regretting actions of your youth, perhaps, because you were young and dumb and everybody else was doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, but then trying to own it and say, but if I didn't have those situations, I wouldn't be the person I am today. Like, so turn it into a positive. And I, you know, and yeah. I'm not a positive person, everybody. I am a pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I am struggling with that Which myself. is good. You keep me from charging off a lot of cliffs with my overly optimistic viewpoint. Lack of reality. But it is, but if you can like get those, you know, those regrets and turn them into say, like you were saying earlier, Matt, like you might regret staying with this person, but who knows what your story would have been, you know, if you had not. You know, you never know what it is going to be and try to work through and live with them and understand that regrets are something because you're worried about how they influence you or others, but you can own them and be okay with it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, I think we have to learn from our regrets. They're an important tool for learning. Let's take the word regret out of the context of alcoholism for a second. Again, I have regrets every day. I you know, here, so here's a couple of tangible examples. I, I coach high school soccer, and I think, again, this whole continually learning and getting better, one of the reasons I enjoy that so much is I make mistakes all the time. I'll push a player too hard, for instance, and you know every individual is different, and that person will shut down, and I'll realize, oop, can't push that person so hard. I got it. You know, it's got to be a different tact with this person. This person needs... Just constant encouragement. And so I learned from that. But I still, like, I, I have memories about, well, I can't get any more specific about the person than, you know, than, than not specific at all. But I have mem- specific memories about specific people that I'm currently working with now that years ago when they were younger, you know, I made mistakes and it took me years to regain their trust by going that different tact. Mm-hmm. Those are regrets. I don't know how it's to... Explain that. I wish I knew when I first met that person and started working with them that they needed love instead of, uh, you know, being ridden or however you say that, you know, not criticized, but pushed, being pushed. Yeah. I wish I had known and that. And some people don't mind. That person, would be, need, a, that yeah. person would be a better player if I had used a different tact yeah. early on. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll take everything that's in our refrigerator, leftovers, <laughs> And I'll stir it together in a in a pan on the stove, and I'll make like a hash. And I think it's a great use of leftovers. And you know, there's usually some protein in there and some vegetables, and there's usually a wide variety of flavors. Yes. And then I'll serve that, and be like, "Here's lunch, kids. More Sherry, breakfast. Sherry, do you want some lunch? I made lunch." And. uh the kids look at me like, do I have to eat they it? They look at you like, help <laughs> us, please. And I say, just pour ketchup on it or yeah. separate all the bits. 
That's what we that's what we did today. Just eat all the green beans out of your scrambled eggs. That's not a joke. Good luck with the quinoa and rice. I don't know what to do with that. Maybe it clung onto the cheese. Does anybody want to come over for breakfast? (laughs) I thought it was great. It wasn't the worst that you've made. Yeah, but sometimes it is the worst. But and so when it's the worst and I've I think I've salvaged all these leftovers and I'm I'm the culinary hero of the family and then nobody can eat it and I have to throw it all away. Then I have regrets about that. Yes. And also regrets about the the terror I see on the kid's face sometimes when I'm in the kitchen looking through the refrigerator. (laughs) Oh, we can make our own lunch, Dad. (laughs) I was thinking about a peanut butter and jelly. Oh, that's very true. So... So, but regrets yes. are good because just thinking about it, like from the standpoint of the kids, like you know, you learn, you learn from those mistakes and regrets. Don't consistently beat yourself up about them. Treat them like sometimes they are mistakes, you know. Yeah. Or choices and oh, learning, challenges in a way too. Learning from regrets a, is great. That's a, why I just hate that it's such a stigmatized and toxified you, word. Did you look up the origin and the definition of regret to see if maybe we get we are misusing it a little bit in today's society like often happens with you know no okay it's uh, it's greek or latin i'm sure of that i just <sighs> don't know re means going one. back you know like, yeah yeah returning so just we need the word origin of gret <laughs> okay maybe there's maybe i will look that up and you can put it in the notes now that's making me laugh you know we talked i just mentioned peanut butter and jelly this is a little bit off topic, but still interesting. Do you know I heard a radio advertisement yesterday for peanut butter whiskey? Ugh. And oh wait, I heard I saw beer soap. Yeah, I've heard of that. I've beer. That. Who wants to smell like beer? I don't understand. Wash that. your body, and you smell like beer. I remember Body on Tap shampoo, but I had never seen. That doesn't make any sense. To no, me. it makes me think of the writing prompt of the five senses, like. Nobody in the recovery group wanted anything to smell like alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, but so... Peanut butter, peanut butter whiskey. And and so, like, I was like, this can't be real. I actually looked up the brand afterwards. I Googled it, and I found that not only was that one brand that was advertising, there's, like, a bunch of brands. of Peanut butter whiskey is a thing. I had no idea. And But on this one particular ad, they were talking about... You want to talk about having some regrets... They were promoting putting it in your coffee, which is, I mean, it's, it's just. Okay. I tried the peanut butter in my coffee one, like it was advertised on. Not peanut butter whiskey, but peanut butter. No, but peanut butter in your coffee to make like different flavors of like latte. And I didn't like that. And I love peanut butter. I can't imagine adding whiskey and peanut butter. Aren't you just drinking in the morning then? Well, so that's my point, right? So this ad's like, oh, you can even pour this in your coffee. And I think they even said, like, you can even sneak it into your coffee. So they're basically sneak promoting... Sneak it into your coffee. Well, they're promoting drinking at work, right? I mean, Or drinking from you, working at home, but you, you're getting paid to drink. Right, when do you get up and, and pour coffee? You do it when you're on your way dog. to work. I know we do it on the weekends too, but they're basically saying, why don't you... Use this product of What's ours. What's the name so you of this sneak brand? Here. That one, uh, Screwball or something? Screwball whiskey. But there's but there's a bunch of them, so I don't I don't mean to call out these people. Oh, uh, we'll a see if they call them. us. We're gonna say Screwball peanut butter whiskey. Sneak it. Don't in your coffee. do it. Yeah. <laughs> that's just we'll crazy. see if they can call us and try to. But that's it. almost as you know. That's yes. along the lines with that. Jose Cuervo and just don't have any regrets. If you're putting your peanut butter whiskey in your coffee and then off to your nine to five, you're going to end with some regrets there one way or the other. (sighs) So I love the, you talked a minute or two ago about using our regrets to learn from. I, I think that's exactly right. I think we have three choices when it comes to regrets. We can pretend we don't have any and just push them down. And Sherry, this is an, Sorry, this is an area that you've got some expertise. The old pretend it isn't there and push it down. But that's not a healthy way to deal with anything. And certainly not a healthy way to deal with regrets. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. 
I'm, I'm going to slightly disagree. I feel like my regrets eat at me. I don't deal with them. I don't turn them into a positive or a learning experience. I let them eat at me. Right. So I don't necessarily push them down. I let them, I wear them. And then that makes my daily life harder. That was my second point. Oh. So you fit into the second category, which is you can wallow in your regrets but and I think a lot of times wallow, when, when yes. we wallow in our regrets, we also wish for do-overs. Yes, which that's that's, that's something you do yeah, all the time. Oh, I wish I could take that moment and do it again. That is that could be on my grave, my tombstone. Hmm. I thought we were getting cremated. I don't know. I I want to just. Okay. I already told you. Yeah, I already told you what I want. I want to like water a tree. I want to liquefy me. It's the new technique. But oh. Exciting. But yeah, wallowing in the regrets and wishing for do-overs. That, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't, there's a difference between those first two things, pretending I don't have any regrets and pushing them down or wallowing in the pain and wishing for do-overs. You know, those two have, they're different, but they have one thing in common that not they're not going to help you. Yeah. They're not going to move forward. And as someone who has done a lot of work and has made a lot of progress in your recovery and moving forward. I think you are kind of uniquely positioned to recognize that you used to do one of these things and it wasn't helping. And so the thing that you're doing now, which is a lot harder work is the way to freedom from regrets, right? Uh, I don't know about that last comment. Freedom of regrets. Freedom from real regrets. Like, oh, freedom from like the, the past learning from regrets. them and yeah. moving forward. I think so. I'm still dealing with some of them. And so I think so. I think I'm on the right path there. I love how honest you are. I mean, because like you said, you're still dealing with them. So you're not just going to give me the answer I want. You're being honest, which is awesome. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Makes you really realistic and believable. But yeah, so that so I think that's the third option that we have with regrets is to learn from them and move on. We heard somebody say not too long ago, and I, I don't want to out the person, so I'm not going to attribute the quote, but I love this quote. Life goes on in those spaces. Learning makes life rich. I agree with that. You can pretend you don't have regrets and just push that stuff down and not deal with it, not let it bug you, or you can wallow in it and wish for do-overs. Neither of those are going to help. Or you can learn and move on. Life goes on in those spaces. And learning makes life rich. I mean, I personally credit my regrets for so much, so much just understanding. You know, not, I'm not talking about like becoming a philosopher or um, or a prophet or 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 creating a a new way to look at life. I'm not saying anything like that. Just understanding the the errors of my ways and the ways I can do it better next time. It's simple. It's basic stuff like that that I you know I wouldn't have without my regrets. That's why I've heard so many alcoholics say, and myself included, I wouldn't wish this disease on anyone, but I don't want you to take it away from me either. I, I am grateful for the experience because of what I know coming out on the, the other side. And so we're not talking about a situation that was full of successes. And gosh, I, every time I drank, I just did it better than the time before. <laughs> and I learned so much from my excellent drinking. No, you learn from the hard stuff. You learn from the trauma and the when things go wrong. And that's how you get better. I think that goes for anything in life. I don't think this is specific to addiction and recovery, but I just look at regret in such a positive light now as a result of that. I, I know that it's a toxified, stigmatized word and a lot of people just want to, they don't want to use the word, they don't want to think about the word, they think the word is bad. But God, I just look at it the opposite. All of the good stuff um, that, you know, keeps us moving forward comes from 
doing it wrong the first time, learning and moving on. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Do you do you agree with the idea that we learn more from our mistakes than from our successes? Hmm. Yes. Because I think that negatives are tuned in for the the bad stuff, right? So it's more impactful. And if you learn from your mistakes and actually learn and you don't repeat them, yeah. or if you repeat them, you know how to deal with it. Yeah. You know, like maybe That's making amends with another, point. with the person that you've wronged, again, and changing your ways, then I think that that is more, because like, Good memories are great, but they don't stick with you like bad memories. So I think successes, you're just like, oh, well, that worked out. And you don't give it much thought because there's nothing plaguing you. At least that's how my brain works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I I wish the word regret or the thought of regrets, if it wasn't just looked at as such a dirty word, I I think it really, it's it's where the learning is and the understanding and the enlightenment. I know you love when I use the word enlightenment. But that's how we grow and get better. So there's no question in my mind that when it comes to recovery from alcoholism, the loved ones, the spouses, again, not saying that getting sober for the alcoholics is easy because easy is by a million miles the wrong word. But the loved ones have it really hard too. And one of the reasons that they have it hard is because of the complexity of dealing with the regret. But I just, I hope nobody shies away from regret. Use it as a tool to get better. Use it as a tool to work yourself unstuck Mm -hmm. and to keep moving forward. And whatever you do, if you take nothing else (laughs) away from this episode... Do not, if you want to not have regrets, mix peanut butter whiskey with Jose Cuervo. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.